because we're questioning why we even bought the DVDs. This is MuggleCast episode 241 for October 16th, 2011. This episode of MuggleCast is brought to you by Audible.com, the Internet's leading provider of audiobooks with more than 75,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature, including fiction, nonfiction, and periodicals. For a free audiobook of your choice, go to audiblepodcast.com slash MuggleCast. That's audiblepodcast.com slash MuggleCast. Welcome to MuggleCast episode 241. Eric, Micah, and I are here this week to fill you in on the latest Harry Potter news. Hello, gentlemen. Hey. Hello. <laughs> What's with yeah, the uncertainty? To, no, I'm trying to think of what words I can say without using the left side of my face. I went to the dentist earlier today. I'm still a little numb. So oh. if I sound funny, it's uh, it's that. <laughs> oh. Now you sound all right so far. Are you missing teeth now? Or do you no, have new teeth? No, no, no. I, yeah, I am uh, I am in good shape. The, uh, the people down at uh, Webster Dental in Chicago took good care of me today. <gasps> oh, my God. Shout out. <laughs> so, I checked in there on Foursquare now too, and I, I was just waiting for Eric to go first. I say see. hello. That's why he's I so see. polite, Mike. He's like he gets in line just to say hello. <laughs> well, from Hypable, I'm Andrew Sims. From MuggleNet, I'm Eric, and I'm just Mike Tannenbaum. Okay, no, you're not. You have a plug later <laughs> in the show. No, no, no MSNBC. Oh anymore? yeah, yeah. No, let, let's let's do that again. <laughs> no, you blew it now. Hey, yeah, uh, oh, yeah, we'll over. talk about it later. Yeah, You're right. no longer affiliated with them. <laughs> All right, what's in the news this week, Micah? Well, Andrew, this may come as a surprise, but Warner Brothers is not done releasing box sets of the Harry Potter films. There's going to be more in 2012, and apparently Harry Potter's not going back into that vault. That well, mysterious vault that we heard about, never to be touched from, uh, never be touched from, <laughs> to <be laughs> never to be touched or heard from again. Um, but that's not true. They always open up the vault every once in a while. So, at least, yeah. Uh, last week we were talking for at length about these box sets. Or on the last episode, we talked about these these box sets they have planned for the November 11th release date, and we talked about them. I think a good 20 minutes at least, right? I mean. We were talking about some of the features and the DVD and how, you know, this uh, this set, how they're always going. I think Andrew correctly predicted there were going to be more. Yeah, and I mean, we, we know they do. This Warner Brothers does this all the time. But a little correction to what you said, Micah. I don't think this really counts as going in the vault. I think what they were saying when the films were going to go in the vault is they were going to stop production of the individual copies. And presumably the, the big collections, too. But... Yeah, so they'll, they'll cease production, uh, some specific date at the end of December. It's after Christmas. And then they're going to presumably not make any new copies of anything, I guess, until later in the year when they open the vault to release the, the, the super mega awesome edition. Now, this just awesome in time edition. for holidays 2012. Well, right. here's, here's the exact wording from Warner Brothers. They said, Hardcore Potter fans will be pleased to know that 2011 is not the end of the Harry Potter film franchise on DVD and Blu-ray. Warner Home Video plans to release a comprehensive Harry Potter film collection with even more extras and collectible premiums in 2012. 
More details about the collection will be available at a later date. Okay. Hold the phone. Why would they announce that there was going to be this comprehensive set of Harry Potter films coming in 2012 before they release this upcoming collector's set full of repackaged junk, as we deduced on last MuggleCast? Why would they announce this new upcoming set, like just even tentatively, like they have kind of, oh yeah, it's coming? Yeah. Why why advertise that it's going to have all these new special features when you have another set to promote that's coming out November 11th? Is there any remaining incentive for people out there who are listening to our show to buy these November 11th box sets of all eight films? Yeah, if somebody wants them for Christmas this year. I mean, that's that's the one right. reason. Um and plus, I mean, you know, people are impatient. They want the complete set now. They don't want to wait till next year to get the complete set. So, this you know, I I I think Warner Brothers was a little strange for announcing this now, but I don't think uh I don't think they're worried about it affecting sales. And by the way, this press release was like really hard to come by. It it it, it I emailed it to Warner Brothers and was like, is this true? And then they were like, you know, I haven't seen this before. Let me look into it. And then I never heard back. So I, I don't, I, it may have been like mistakenly said. So I don't know what, what exactly went on, but anyway. What- well, he, he, interesting. I mean, I'm just going through the comments here on MuggleNet and, uh, Twixie 9 says, I hate how they're withholding content from the true fans, making us spend more money just to get another interview or a couple more deleted scenes. We, the hardcore fans, have supported Harry Potter through thick and thin and have supported it 200% throughout the film franchise, and they're treating us like this. If it wasn't for us, they wouldn't have made as much money as they did across. Okay, it goes on. <laughs> Next comment, Dudley Cool. I find this hilarious. Glad I never bought any of the Ultimate Editions. This collection had better had the extended version of all the films, including uh, the three-hour Order of the Phoenix. At least give us all the unreleased deleted scenes and bloopers. WB has been hoarding since 2001. Wow. So you're seeing a lot of comments here that are similar to what we were talking about on the last show when we had no knowledge about this, when we were just talking about this eight-film collection. So clearly the fans in the comments are starting to get a little bit ticked off. Yeah. I mean, the way I'm looking at this, unless you've lost your previous collections, I mean, if you want to... Unless you've lost your previous DVDs in, like, a house fire or something, you know, and need a new collection and you're entertaining guests and you want to do a Harry Potter rewatch, like Andrew said, prior to Christmas or something, then I can see making this this, this eight collection because it's just one cool package. Um, but otherwise, and I know what I will be doing, is I will be waiting until this unknown release date in 2012 to get this new box set with the special features. It just seems like you have to be two steps ahead of these people. You have to you have to wait, you know, somehow deliberately. But you will get the part 2 DVD Blu-ray so you can watch it before that. Or no. It's maybe. I I want to see the Dan Radcliffe Joe Rowling thing. I might might wait to see if that's online. And if not, I will get the part 8 Blu-ray or you know, movie 8 Blu-ray. Once again, this podcast is brought to you by Audible.com, the Internet's leading provider of audiobooks with more than 75,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature and featuring audio versions of many New York Times bestsellers. For listeners of this podcast, Audible is offering a free audiobook to give you a chance to try out their service. One audiobook to consider this month as Halloween approaches is Carrie by Stephen King. King's first published novel, Carrie, is centered around a high school girl 
who apart from having a stressful home life and being teased by her classmates, develops psychokinetic powers, yet only wants to fit in. The audiobook of Carrie is narrated by Sissy Spacek, who portrayed Carrie in the 1976 film adaptation by Brian De Palma. For a free audiobook of your choice, such as Carrie, or many other Stephen King horror stories, go to audiblepodcast.com slash mugglecast. That's A-U-D-I-B-L-E podcast dot com slash mugglecast. What else is going on? Well, as long as we're on the topic of DVDs and Blu-rays, uh, the Harry Potter Ultimate Edition DVDs, years one to six, that have already been released here uh, in the U.S., are finally going to make their way over to the U.K. on November the 14th. And again, it's just, we talked a little bit about this on the show last week with uh, part two coming out on Blu-ray and DVD in the U.K. on December 2nd. But why were the Ultimate Editions never made available in the U.K. before now? I don't know. It's always been a, a question amongst amongst the UK fans. Um, my guess is that Warner Brothers Home Entertainment is based over here, and so th- th- maybe they didn't see as much demand for it over in the UK. Uh, that's that's my best guess. Maybe they just wanted to wait to release all of them at the same time once they were in the UK. Maybe they considered the Ultimate Editions very much an experiment. That's a good point. Yeah, it could be a situation where maybe too the UK, the the board of film or whoever it is that oversees this kind of stuff wouldn't let them uh, just repackage old content until very recently. Maybe they had to pay them off. And uh, now, is there is there any difference in terms of, let's say, somebody from the UK decided that they wanted to buy the ultimate edition and have it shipped over? Yes, they're not going to have any issue, are they? they or they are. will. The uh, and the, the difference is PAL versus NTSC, um, which is what I the, the issue that I went through trying to get Philosopher's Stone on DVD uh, was that I went to Amazon.co.uk. This was you know early early on maybe 2003 ish, uh, and and I you know I got it and I I, I paid twenty uh, the equivalent of twenty pounds or whatever it was. So I actually, <laughs> long story short, I ended up buying a, a multi-region DVD player. To play that DVD, that just That's for that hardcore. DVD, I, I don't have any other PAL DVDs. <laughs> just because I wanted the that title sequence, just because I wanted the title sequence when he's a little baby in the scar, and then it leads into Philosopher's Stone. But I wanted to see if it was any different, and so so hard for the British. It's it's just really not fair. Well, we are the superior country, so they have <laughs> to they have to work around us. Please send your emails to uh, <laughs> just kidding, <laughs> Andrew at hypable dot com. <laughs> All right, what else is going on in the news? A lot of the news, uh, really, this week has been around the studio tour, or as, uh, wait, I have to uh, cue this, Warner Brothers Studio Tour London, the making of Harry Potter. Right. Uh, because uh, we want to we want to make sure that uh, we stick by the, the corporate <laughs> official title of this studio. Yeah, you don't want to confuse people. No, we don't want lawsuits or anything like that. Uh, but, yeah, a lot of news surrounding, uh, really, the last couple of weeks with the studio tour. They got an official uh, opening date of March 31st, 2012, and uh, a lot of promotion been going on with the studio tour. There was a live web chat for the on-sale date of tickets on October 13th, so just this past week, and uh, it was very interactive chat specific for the fans and the fan sites to be able to ask questions via Twitter 
a lot of the fan sites were represented and got their questions in there as well. And it was it was a cool chat to watch. It was uh, Tom Felton, Mark Williams, Julie Walters, James and Oliver Phelps, Bonnie Wright, Warwick Davis, and uh, Natalia Tenna. And uh, they seem to be having a pretty good time. We've seen some video surface over, you know, the last 24 to 48 hours with different stars going through and taking a tour. And Mark Williams really seems to be having a good time. Like, I saw him sitting down at Dumbledore's chair. He was paging through all these uh, letters. Uh, But uh, I think fans are really going to like it. The attention to detail uh, that's been put into all these sets is something that you're only going to get to experience by walking through. And uh, I know that both of our sites, uh, Richard was over for Hypable and Nick was over for MuggleNet. They got a chance to tour, and uh, both of their reports are available on the respective sites. And you really get a deeper insight into how much kind of time and care went into creating uh, the studio tour. Yeah, I mean, it's it's going to be really cool. It's it's going to be uh, an amazing experience. I mean, who doesn't want to go to the actual sets and explore these things? And you kind of got that with the exhibition. You kind of got that with the Wizarding World. But this is this is it. I mean, they, I think they've saved the best for last in terms of... I mean, you really can't compare it to like the theme park. But I think this is like the ultimate Harry Potter fan experience, if, if you ask me. Yeah. I don't think that there's any question because you're walking literally where the actors did when they were filming all of these scenes. And, uh, yeah, and in the chat, they were all joking around. Yeah, you know, you might see me hanging out, uh, at the back of the studio or maybe I'll dress up as a tour guide one day and, and lead, <laughs> yeah, lead you around. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but it, it, uh, looks, it does seem, it, it, I think, um, I like everything that's been out about it so far, all the reports and stuff, but it's it's getting a little too much. You think so? Like all this promo. Yeah, it's time, to, it's time to keep quiet for a little bit. Let the tickets sell. Sit back for a little bit. Relax. Yeah. I haven't been watching, mostly because I don't want to get spoiled on the off chance that I wake up one morning in London and I have a ticket to this thing. Because <laughs> they sold out like crazy, and I always plan for those sorts of random right. happenstance. But anyway, um, you know, I, the way I thought of it, because I watched the trailer, it was the one thing I did see. Uh, maybe it was, I think it was the, the actual trailer, maybe it was just the teaser, but essentially the impression that I got was that these are things that, you know, set, set pieces, props that were too big to move. You know, that's why they aren't in the exhibition that's traveling, opening in Australia in a couple of weeks, is because, you know, things like the Great Hall, the actual, actual Great Hall, have been at Leavesden for, the, you know, these years, and that's going to be part of the studio tour. And, you know, the one piece that I saw in this trailer that I really, really enjoyed was the door, the entrance to the Chamber of Secrets with the snakes. You you may remember this. It's from the second movie. I don't even think they show it. Maybe they show it, like, for half a second in in part two of Deathly Hallows. But, you know, where the snakes, basically, they're they're locked in the door. They, They retreat a little bit. And then one snake comes completely around the door and so apparently this is like actual mechanics here because they show it in this trailer and they show the snake going around the door i want to know how they did that i need (laughs) to see this prop in person well they they show the guy flicking the switch don't they yeah it's just a mechanical but i see what eric's saying and i mean that's what's going to be so fun about the studio tour is you really are going to get not just the look at the sets and be able to walk on the sets you're going to see how all this stuff worked so that'll be really exciting and, for people to see. Isn't it a journey through props department, you know, as well, and things like that? Yeah, I bet. Stuff? I would. I would hope so. And you're 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 getting it 
the same way that the the actors did. I, this is one of the things that they emphasized is, you know, they didn't remove sort of the scaffoldings. They didn't remove the lighting. They didn't remove really anything. You're getting to see what it would be like if you were actually in that scene filming it, except you don't have, you know, a bunch of other people standing around you, but you get the feel as if, you know, you're actually on set. It's not, it's so to, to make sense of that, it's not like the exhibition where you walk through and everything's kind of dressed up so that it fits in with a theme. This is literally like walking through, uh, a set that's being filmed on. Right. Like fiberglass, plywood, you know, where the camera ends. And I know a lot of these sets are like this, even, you know, just from, you know, reading Andrew's past reports too, like where the camera ends, you know, so too does the set. There's, there's all, you know, on, on certain sets, there's just planking, you know, and, 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 you know, scaffolding and stuff, you know, where you wouldn't expect it. And that's going to be the appeal, I think, of, of, of seeing these sets as they actually were. Because honestly, there's a lot more acting being done in these films than I think we would normally notice. Uh, simply because Hogwarts doesn't really exist. It's, you know, these, these sets with scaffolding. Mm-hmm. But tickets are on sale, so. Go uh, pre-book. I thought they sold out. They sold out of the allotment that the fan, went on sale. The fan early. sale. Okay, because now I'm confused. When There's are... a, there was a fan pre-sale, but it was open to anyone who who followed the studio tour on Twitter or Facebook, and they sell sold out of that allotment of tickets. You know, it could have been like ten tickets for all we know. We have no idea how big this allotment was. But anyway, they sold out, and then they did a whole big. You know, we're sold out. We're sold out. We're so in demand. And then the t- other tickets, then the tickets opened for everyone recently. So they're open. They're open now. You can get them probably for almost any day that you want. Um, and what what did they say? It's about a three hour tour, and you're uh, they're looking to get about five thousand people through every day. Yeah, um, wow. I mean that seems like a big number. I can't imagine five thousand people going there every day, but maybe maybe they may have been exaggerating. Um. Anyway, what else is going on? Okay, well, let's talk about our favorite website, uh, Pottermore. It's my homepage. Uh, well, a little bit of an update. Uh, Charlie Redmayne, who previously worked uh, at HarperCollins, has been named the new CEO of Pottermore. And uh, according to Neil Blair, who's the Pottermore chairman, he described Charlie Redmayne as a formidable talent in both the digital and publishing spheres. And this combined with his entrepreneurial spirit made him the ideal appointment for this role. Now, I I don't really know much about the staff at Pottermore, other than, of course, Melissa, but what, is this a move being made because there are some serious problems going on at, at Pottermore? Well, um, Pottermore and- has always had, apparently, I didn't really know this, an interim CEO. They never really yeah. appointed a long-term CEO, so I don't think this is... Um, this has anything to do with with the issues, but I mean, I think this could be. I'm glad it's happening now because everybody knows that you know there needs to be some changes with Pottermore. We've talked about them all, so we won't do it again. Um, and hopefully, this guy will step in, and he has a lot of experience in the digital realm. By the way, he used to head Harper Collins's uh, one of their digital 
imprints, I believe. And, you know, I, I hope he gets in there and starts kicking some butt and being like, hey, this is what we need to do. Boom, boom, boom. I mean, having some fresh blood in there could be really helpful. Yeah. Yeah, the interesting thing about this news article for me was that I never thought of Pottermore as being just a company, you know, that would appoint a CEO. Right, right, right. Oh, Pottermore (laughs) Inc.? Yeah, wait, Pottermore has a CEO? Did JKRowling.com have a CEO? I'm so confused. (laughs) Now I'm just confused. But yeah, it's, uh, you know, like you said, change is good, right? Yeah, I I started... I didn't finish, but I, I'm writing an open letter to the Pottermore CEO, kind of as a joke, but kind of serious that I'm going to post on Hypable. And it's basically just running down the, the changes that need to be done. Um, and I know he's not going to actually read it, but I know people will talk about it because it is a good time to start thinking about, okay, so what does Pottermore need to do to change? Now they have this new guy in command. What should he do? Yeah. Yeah, so, it's kind of so. like welcome, but... Also, here's what you need to do. <laughs> it's being it's being thrown into the fire, essentially. Yeah. I mean, w- with everything that's been going on with Pottermore, and like you said, not to spend too much time on it, uh, there's a lot that needs to be fixed before the site does go live to the general public. And yep. I hope, as uh, was said here in this post, that he is uh, the right person for the next phase of this project. To shepherd the next phase. Yeah. So... All right, well, speaking of uh, corporate slogans, I don't know if we were really talking about corporate slogans, but uh, Rupert Grint is going to uh, join the cast and crew down in Orlando for, Andrew, what is the official title of this uh, event now? Ah. The Harry Potter Home Entertainment Celebration. That's right. That's right. And <laughs> where there will be where there will be PowerPoint presentations inside the three broomsticks and uh, <laughs> quarterly earnings reports. It's just exactly. wonderful. Well, it's funny how I came across it. I was I was going on there to look up something and I went on the homepage of what used to be called a celebration in the Harry Potter films and I just noticed that the the title had been changed to this very bland Harry Potter Home Entertainment Celebration. I'm like, "What what is this?" So I click on frequently asked questions and the top question is is Harry Potter Home Entertainment Celebration the same event as a celebration of the Harry Potter films? <laughs> and Universal's official answer is, yes, the two events are the same. The title of the event has become Harry Potter Home Entertainment Celebration to commemorate the Blu-ray DVD release of Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 2. So it's just... it. it and our issue with it is just the name, Home Entertainment Celebration. It's just so corporate and bland. And I don't see why a celebration of the Harry Potter films was a bad name. Do you think it was because it's so exclusive that not everybody can get in? I mean, this is something that still, it just seems like it'd be hard to attend this sort of thing. So maybe they're making it more corporate as, you know, to look good on, on press videos and stuff. Yeah, maybe. I mean, they, I, it, this just seems to me, they really want to push that, Harry Potter is now all about home entertainment. It's no longer about the movie theater. It's you being entertained in your home. I guess that's what they're thinking. And this is, is a huge event. I mean, let, let's talk about this for a little uh, bit. It's a it's a it's a Harry Potter conference practically. Yeah, they're they're doing this down in in Orlando at at the theme park, and uh, they have a ton of cast that are expected to be there. We just mentioned Rupert Grint, but also James and Oliver Phelps, Warwick Davis. Ivana Lynch, Mark Williams, David Bradley, 
who plays Argus Filch, and uh, Jesse Cave, who plays Lavender Brown, and, and there's more to come. Uh, and it's just amazing that th- this is like when they had the Part 1 DVD being released, and they kind of combined it with the exhibition opening here in New York City. They made this huge deal. You're right. And they had tons of cast and crew that were here. I mean, it, it seems like they're doing the same thing, and I guess it's just because, okay, this is the last movie. This is This is the last essentially blu-ray and dvd let's blow this thing out you're right yeah. i remember those panels of like 23 actors going you know and sitting in new york city that's crazy i think it's also maybe a test to see how well if this thing goes well i can almost see them doing this every year or at least universal doing something every year this 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 event coming up is very much a team effort between universal and warner brothers but i can see them you know the, doing this every year is like a um you kind of like these Harry Potter conferences, LeakyCon, Infinitus, all these ones over the years. They may have looked at those and been like, well, wait a second. Why don't we just do this? In our own park. <laughs> yeah. On our yeah. Own. And, yeah. And they can actually get the stars there. And Well, I mean, who doesn't want to leave cold and you know rainy England to go to sunny Florida in the middle of November? Are you talking about the stars? or? Yeah. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah, true. Right? So it's well, easy I to get them too. over there. Yeah. And probably get paid to do it. So I, I right. wonder if uh, I wonder if it was in their contract though that you know as part of their uh, obligation to promote the film. Because I, I wonder now if the studio is looking at home video as being you know this market that needs more money thrown at it, you know, and needs more attention to actually selling and promoting these films on home video as opposed to seeing them in theaters. I wonder if that's sort of you know also potentially why they're doing this is to promote. Because, I mean, they renamed the event. Harry Potter comes out on Blu-ray. You know, that's the new title of the place. So, it's it's you really kind of wonder, you know, what their goal is in terms of, I mean, they just want people to know that, that it's out on home video for some reason. And, it, and it's going to be a huge event. Those those uh, actors that we mentioned are just a handful of, of those who are expected to be there. So, it again, this is just, uh, to me, it seems like a little bit overkill. What's overkill? This kind of an event for releasing a DVD or Blu-ray. Well, yeah, I mean, like you said, they want to have a blowout. It's the last one, so it all ends here. All right, so is that (laughs) all the news? That's it. And Rupert Grint's attending. I don't know if you mentioned that, but... That was a late edition. Okay. So now let's move on to chapter by chapter. This week we're looking at Order of the Phoenix chapters 9 and 10. Two very interesting chapters. As I was reading them earlier, I was like, ooh, ooh I want to talk about that. I want to talk about that. So, so let's start go ahead, about- Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> no, you go ahead, please, Micah. You, oh, okay. you lead the first yeah. chapter. I will. I think I in. ended up with the longer uh, chapter. I don't know. know. That's your fault. Mine's- pretty long that's my fault for just selecting the chapter without without knowing uh all right well chapter nine the woes of uh, mrs weasley and when we last left harry uh he was leaving the courtroom and uh, had been cleared of all charges against him uh for the uh patronus charm that he had cast earlier in the summer and uh you know, we talked a little bit about this on the last episode about Harry being tried before a full court, but Mr. Weasley, you know, as he's watching everybody pile out of the courtroom, is shocked that Harry was tried before a full court. Yeah. So, uh, 
I don't know what more we can say about it, but you know, you just get more of a feeling of how Harry probably should have just been reprimanded, but instead he's put, you know, essentially on a full criminal trial. The the thing that I always saw as suspect here is that you know, if you are in a wizarding family, basically what J.K. wrote about the trace was that if you're in a wizarding family, you don't even have the trace. You you know, it's expected that you're raised uh, correctly. You know, and I guess the trace is how they found out that Harry was using, you know, underage, it's underage magic. Not only is it in front of a muggle, but in general, it's underage magic. You know, just the idea that they don't trace wizard, wizard-born kids at all, you know, so they can't ever really hold a trial for them versus this treatment that Harry's gotten makes it even worse, I think, because they're only watching muggle-borns, essentially, or only watching, uh, you know, people like Harry who, it's just a disadvantage. And, you know, one of the people that comes out of the courtroom is Percy. So we get a little bit more insight into the relationship or lack thereof between Percy and his father. And they both basically ignore each other. Um, now, as Harry and Arthur make their way, you know, out of the courtroom area, they run into Lucius and the minister. And the two of them are talking very intently with each other, whispering, and uh, Lucius asks Mr. Weasley what he's doing there, uh, to which he replies, he works here, which, you know, I thought was, was a pretty good response. Yeah, it makes and sense. Then, uh, it's the truth. Lucia- yeah, it's the truth. Uh, Lucius, though, then says to Mr. Weasley, not here, surely, and he kind of motions towards a door, and that door has large implications later on in the series, uh, but clearly you can tell that something is going on behind the scenes that we don't really know about. And uh, the question that I have is just what was Lucius doing down there as opposed to meeting the minister outside of his office? It's the same question that Harry poses to Mr. Weasley. Yeah. I'm, I'm, it just seems so dodgy, right? We know how hard it was for Harry to get down to this courtroom. The elevators don't even go down this far, for crying out loud. So it seems very likely that Lucius is either scouting out the location. Um, you know, we know that by this point it's been mentioned that some of the order is standing guard over something, essentially this door. Um, it's revealed later. And either Lucius is looking around, maybe scouting out weaknesses, or he and Fudge are down here because they're conducting less than legal business. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and maybe yeah, maybe he just kind of takes pleasure in um, in seeing Harry, like, in this situation with Mr. Weasley. Yeah. And to your point, Eric, there's that mention of Harry almost hears something along the lines of a clinking sound, thinking that Lucius is playing with uh, gold, you know, that he has in, in his pocket. So you get that feeling that perhaps he's paying the minister off uh, for some things that uh, he may be doing that are less than uh, legal, let's say. Yeah, definitely. Creepy, creepy guy, Mr. Malfoy. I'd, I'd hate to think what he would be like to, you know, have as a dad, for crying out loud. <laughs> Just like walking around paying people and coming home and expecting right. dinner on the table. Anyway, I got sidetracked. Now, uh, Harry raises another question and he says, 
why is it that, or, or could it be possible that Fudge, in dealing with somebody like Mr. Malfoy, could be under the Imperius curse? And Mr. Weasley responds by saying, don't think that we haven't thought about that, but right now Dumbledore believes Fudge is acting of his own accord, which is not comforting. And and this just goes to a larger plot or, or character analysis, I guess, of Fudge saying that you know, he's willing to talk to known or, or prior Death Eaters. That's true. That's very true. I mean, money goes a long way, I guess, even in even in the wizarding world. Um, because Lucius was very determined to not let his uh, status in society crumble. Right. And Dumbledore saying that, or, or Mr. Weasley relaying Dumbledore's concerns that Fudge, he's acting of his own accord right now. And that's scarier than if he was under a curse. Yeah. 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 We're, we're getting a look at what what's going to become the downfall of Fudge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Harry ends up going back uh, to Grimmauld Place, and everybody seems relieved. And they all knew that Harry was going to get off. Uh, but, uh, you know, or I'm sorry, Harry says that everybody seems relieved, even though uh, they all knew that he would get off in the end. You know, everybody was saying, oh, we knew that they didn't have a case against you, and of course you would get off, blah, blah, blah. So uh, Harry makes a little bit of a joke there. Um, during dinner, Harry thinks it... Uh, he, you know, they're talking about the trial and and what happened. And, and Harry thought that it would have been dumb uh, to say that he wished that when Dumbledore was standing right next to him, that he would have spoken to him or even looked at him. Do you guys think he should have brought this up? I mean, this is something that he kept to himself. He kind of thinks about during dinner. And might anybody else, Sirius, some, somebody else who was in the know as to why Dumbledore was not corresponding with Harry... Might they have told him the truth? Might they have felt sorry for him? I'm sure they felt sorry for him, but I think I don't think they like to intervene with what Dumbledore's doing. So in this case they were they were just letting it fly even though they knew it pained Harry. And I mean I I'm on Harry's side in this. He should know why Dumbledore is is ignoring them. I mean, they're they're best friends, and for this sudden change to be going on, and Harry has no idea why. It's just heartbreaking for yeah. Harry. Yeah, and given what Sirius does in in the next chapter, I wouldn't put anything past him. But everybody else, like Andrew said too, is you know they're respecting Dumbledore's wishes on this, and maybe they don't know that this is paining Harry because at this point Harry isn't telling anybody. Um, right. You know how? He well, feels. do they know also as to why? Dumbledore is not interacting with Harry. That would be that's the, yeah, the that's interesting. Yeah, because yeah. surely somebody else must have noticed that he's not spending any time with him. Um, so that's interesting. I, I just I just compare it to Harry, you know, not telling Sirius when his scar hurts. You know, a couple of years ago. Uh, you know, there are things. There are these things that Harry keeps to himself and kind of uh, chomps on throughout. You know, for several months. Uh, that 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 he prefers to kind of deal with alone, I guess. Yeah. Well, speaking of Sirius, he starts to become more detached as the start of term grows closer. And Hermione actually says that she thinks part of Sirius hoped Harry got expelled from Hogwarts so he could come live with him. Uh, now, I, can you believe that? Well, I think I think she's on to something. We know Sirius <laughs> is very lonely. 
Um, we know he loves having Harry as a godfather. And for him to now leave and go back to school where he's not going to see him, I, I can see why um, Hermione would be thinking that and Sirius would be feeling that. Yeah, I think Sirius definitely viewed the trial as a potential new beginning for Harry. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, if, if Harry had, if the, the verdict had been negative, I really don't think Sirius, I mean, he would have been sorry that Harry's life was in shambles, but would have been the first person to say, you know, there's light, at, you know, at, after this and, and, you know, we're going to have a lot of fun now. Uh, we'll be outlaws right. together, Harry, you know, godfather and godson. Woohoo! Yeah. But I think part of it is that the term is drawing closer, and that means there's going to be less people in the house for Sirius to interact with. Yes, the Order of the Phoenix does come and go, but most of them work full-time. And so when they are there, it's just sort of in passing or to have quick conversations. So really, Sirius goes back uh, to being that loner again. Hmm. We've got Remus. Uh, well, Remus is off uh, trying to oh, that's right. rally other werewolves to yeah. his cause. Well, you know what? You give up your house for, to be the headquarters of Order of Phoenix, and people come and go, and it's it's hard. It's hard to be uh, hard to be serious. So we move on, and letters finally come from Hogwarts with all the supplies that they're going to need for the upcoming term, and we find out that in addition to Hermione. Uh, Ron is made a prefect. What? And everybody is shocked by this. You know, Fred and George, Hermione, Harry, and this was kind of a rough scene for Ron. Because nobody can believe he actually accomplished something. I don't even think he believed that he was made a prefect. <laughs> but he defends himself, doesn't he? Yeah, he does. And, you know, it's, it's, there's also a lot of humor from the, uh, twins that, that comes about in the scene. Uh, especially when Mrs. Weasley comes in and says, oh, that'll be everybody in the family that was made prefect. And Fred and George say, and what are we next door neighbors? Uh, so, uh, but was he deserving? That's the question. And, and I know we find out later why this happened, but this could be seen as another reason, you know, just kind of adding to the pile to make Harry upset with Dumbledore. Yeah, that's very true. Um, Do you think he was deserving, though, You know, both of you guys? Like, separately? Yeah, let, let, let's throw aside the, the real reason we find out at the end of the book. Do you think he deserved to be made prefect? Uh... No. Anybody else in, in no, the... No, and I mean, he knows... Chosen. He knows he didn't... He knows, well, slash thinks himself he didn't deserve to be made prefect. I mean, I just... I... I, uh... Yeah, I don't know. No, my short answer is no. I don't think he well, deserved who, well, to be Well, who else would you have picked? I mean, let's say Harry's out of the equation. You have Neville, Dean, Seamus... Uh, Lee as well. And Fred and George, right? I mean, they're still... Because you can be a prefect... Um, are prefects only fifth years? I mean, I'm sure not, right? But there are no. still... There's a head boy and a head girl. I'm trying to think how this works. To wrap, wrap my brain around well, this. Well, I guess the question is who who else deserves it? Who who yeah. else would deserve it? And well, It's tough because you've got to get somebody who's close to Harry that isn't Harry. Um mm-hmm. You know, it's got to be Ron. I, 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 I want to say, as an example of Quidditch in Half-Blood Prince, 
Ron is capable of good things, but he needs to he needs to be pushed kind of. It's like give him a prefectship and see if he uses if he rises to this occasion. And I think Ron at least for pride's sake is really rising to this occasion. Um, you know, but we see I guess throughout the book even in, you know certainly in the next chapter how Ron begins to deal with this extra authority. Uh, whether or not he's going to use it the right way or use it for, you know, hit, hit, just to benefit his friends. So, uh, you know, maybe Dumbledore and, you know, again, we find out later why. I don't really particularly remember, but I'm thinking that in giving Ron this opportunity, um, it is sort of a, hey, go out, be your own person sort of, uh, sort of, you know, well, stick for him. I'm assuming everybody listening has read the books, so <laughs> it, it's really because Dumbledore didn't want to give Harry any more responsibility. It's that he felt as if Harry had enough to deal with as it was to make him prefect would only well increase. That. I remember that, but that doesn't explain why Ron is the prefect, right? Because now I think it was. Going- I, th- I do think it was to build him up because he felt that if Ron could take on this responsibility, then he could do a lot more moving forward. Yeah, but, I mean, that goes back to what you're saying. Isn't that like throwing, you know, fuel to the fire for Harry? You know, in not coming forward and explaining this to Harry, and you don't even need to say, oh, I thought you had too much on your plate. You know, but just to explain why you would not even talk to Harry about making his best friend, who frankly doesn't really deserve it, a prefect. You know, both his best friends. Harry's essentially alone. And not only alone in the way that he can't talk to Dumbledore, but even in the next chapter, you know, Ron and Hermione have to go off and do prefect things. Harry's alone, and that's 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 counterintuitive. Uh, okay. The, the other question I wanted to ask really quickly about this was why was this storyline particularly dropped from the movie? Because it would have actually, I th- thought, built a little bit more towards Ron's character. Yeah, I mean, this would have been great. It's kind of like in Half-Blood Prince where you see him, um, you know, join the Quidditch team. Um, I thought that was a great example of, of showing Ron's personality and getting some nice Ron moments in there. But uh, he just, you know, I, I, can, I can also see why they cut it. So Yeah, maybe, maybe they didn't want to repeat themselves too because Harry is angry with Ron in movie four. You know, it's kind of like they had to take a movie break before in movie six when Hermione's angry with Ron. You know, they they kind of they kind of they're very stream. The movies are very narrow, I guess, and and so maybe they didn't want to uh, confuse people in the movie mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. or repeat some of the same emotions that they had shown in the previous film. Yeah. So now we get to the point where Harry is alone in his room. Hermione asks to borrow Hedwig to send a note off to her parents and he's, he has, has sort of this debate in his mind as to whether or not he was more deserving than Hermione, if he was more deserving than Ron. And you, know, he really comes to the conclusion that with the exception of the things that he was able to do uh, in all the prior books that had to deal with Voldemort, he's really not a better student than Ron. And I don't really think he makes much uh, justification for deserving it more than Hermione, because obviously Hermione is very intelligent, the perfect student, so on and so forth. But, you know, he kind of comes to the conclusion himself that, you know what, at the end of the day, I can't really make the case for me deserving it more than Ron. Uh, But later at dinner, Harry learns that Lupin uh, was prefect during 
his father's time at Hogwarts, and his father wasn't a prefect. So that made uh, you know him feel a lot better about the whole situation. Hmm. Surprising they made Lupin a prefect with his condition. <laughs> yeah, you know, true. wouldn't wouldn't he have too much on his plate? Now, there's this side conversation going on during dinner between uh, Fred and George and Mondungus, and uh, he, Harry eventually is called over, but he begins to worry afterwards what Mr. and Mrs. Weasley would think of him if they knew that he was the one responsible backing you know, for backing Fred and George and their joke shop. Would they still think of him as, as being one of their own children? So interesting. But it's kind of one of those things, right? Wait, wait a year. Because you know their reactions after they first go in Haplet Prince and see Fred and George's joke shop. You know, I think Ginny says it in in the book, but this is really incredible magic. Is, is, is what she says. And I think Mrs. Weasley is beaming and seeing the twins have their business. It's really one of the best things that happens to any of the characters in the books. And so I think in, in a year's time, if they knew that Harry had given them the money, they would have thought, well, that's, you know, it's still too generous. It's just like Harry. Um, but they would have appreciated him a little bit more. Now where Mrs. Weasley's really cross about it, who knows, right? I, I don't think they'll disown Harry because they're not like Dumbledore to leave Harry alone in, in this sort of time of darkness. Um, but, but I think it would have caused a little bit, maybe a little bit more of an issue, but she would have demanded that the twins give Harry's money back. I'm sure. Um, rather than letting them use it for mischief. Uh, once Harry leaves that conversation, he is called over by Mad-Eye Moody and Moody shows Harry this picture of the old order of the Phoenix. And I believe it's Sirius who does it in the movie at the train station. So they changed that up a little bit. Uh, and, you know, Harry eventually is shown his parents, but he looks at Moody a little bit oddly. And, and I think Moody was trying to do something nice here, but it just didn't come across the right way. I don't think Moody has a, a good understanding probably of emotion and, and things like that. Well, why that, don't you think it works? Because Harry doesn't have, I think, the reaction that Moody was intending. Yeah, he didn't want to make him upset. Well, no. Uh, I think, it, yeah, exactly. The The result was Harry kind of got a little bit upset, whereas I think the intended result was to make him see his parents and be happy. Oh, there are my parents. <laughs> yeah. I get what you're saying. Still, it's it's good to know. I mean, this artifact, that part of the movie, for instance, when it is a little retooled with Sirius giving it, you know, Harry does have that different reaction where it's like, oh, okay, it's, you know, it's my parents. They were part of a group. And, you know, that photo later becomes inspiration for the DA or whatever. But Yeah, exactly. And and I think that's why in the movie it worked better with Sirius giving it to him. But, uh, again, here it becomes a little bit of an awkward situation and Harry wants to get away as, easy, uh, as quickly as he possibly can. And so Sirius asks what they're looking at and he uses that to kind of slip away. And then he comes across Mrs. Weasley, who's crying in the drawing room floor. Uh, or drawing on the drawing drawing room floor, and uh, we see th- one of the things I left out earlier was when just before dinner takes place, Mrs. Weasley asks Mad Eye Moody to take a look at something that's in one of the cabinets in the drawing room, and uh, he uses his eye and he sees that it's a boggart, and that's what Mrs. Weasley went up there to take care of and now Harry is coming across her sobbing on the floor and 
that the Boggart is taking the form of all of her family members as well as Harry dead. And this, I guess this is kind of the first insight you get into how serious things are. You know, and, and how somebody who is normally such a strong character has these weaknesses, I would say, and, you know, how she's concerned just like any other mother would be that this war is essentially going to take away people that she cares very deeply about. Just like the last one took away her brothers. Right. Um, and they are mentioned, actually, in that photo, although they don't explicitly say that they are her brothers. Yeah. Um, there's two interesting things there. One is that nobody, well, allegedly nobody knows what a boggart looks like when it's in a cupboard because it doesn't take form until it comes out. And when it does, it takes the form of, you know, your greatest fear. So it's interesting that Mad-Eye can, can whirl his eye around. I'm pretty sure Joe is playing with this. And he says it's a boggart. So he, he clearly knows what a boggart looks like before it takes a form, which is a, be great to know. But the other interesting thing is that Mrs. Weasley's uh, Boggart is all of her children dead equally almost, which is why the Boggart is taking this, these multiple forms, isn't it? Because, you know, she fears the death of a loved one. And so it's just cycling through all of her loved ones. Yeah. Which, which is like Molly Weasley is almost the perfect mother character, you know, because she doesn't fear one loved one's death over another. She doesn't play favorites. She doesn't, you know, she fears... But would any mother? Well, arguably. But but at the yeah, same time, it's even even Harry is among them. You know, Molly just doesn't want to lose people to the spoils of war, which is, which is you know, what Mike has said. It's it's really about how serious things are and, and have gotten. But I just never saw a bogger do that before, where it takes more than one form without being, you know, ridiculous. So, <laughs> Molly's just a pure character. You're supposed to be... Very, very, um, you know, moved by this. Yeah, and it, that's why the question arises from her, you know, who would take care of all of her children if Arthur and herself were killed? I mean, you're starting to get a very real taste of, of what's going on here. Uh, and Lupin makes the point that he feels that they're better prepared this time around than the last time that Voldemort rose to power. But really, are they? And because Harry has this moment where he wonders if the people that he just saw in the photograph that he just learned all these horrible things happened to, did they think the same thing, that they were prepared the first time around? Yeah, tough questions. Some questions just don't have answers. So th this whole thing kind of puts things into perspective. And the chapter ends with Harry saying that it was amazing that barely an hour ago he had been concerned about a joke shop and who had earned a prefix badge. And now there's a whole new set of drama for him to enjoy. All right. Now on to chapter 10 with Eric and Luna. Aw, touching. Luna Lovegood, chapter 10 of Order of the Phoenix. This is, this is really a character. This, this chapter differs very much from the previous chapter in that it's, it's really all about setting up the characters that are going to play a large role in this book. The book is still beginning. Um, Practically, they're not even at Hogwarts yet. Obviously, so much has happened, but so much more is yet to. So Harry wakes up. Uh, it's back to back to school day um, for the students. Harry wakes up. Ron is already fully dressed and and, and talking to him, telling him to get moving. 
Um, apparently Ginny was knocked down two flights of stairs this morning by Fred and George's trunks, which they had bewitched to fly so that they didn't have to carry them. Um, basically just a bunch of other stuff happens. Mrs. Weasley is rushing everybody around. Um, Mad-Eye is waiting for Sturgis Podmore before they can go to King's Cross. And when they finally do get out the door, uh, you know, Harry is, is leaving Grimald Place and Sirius bounds out as a dog and tries to come with them. I guess Molly, Sirius is almost taking advantage of Molly here because she has had a heck of a morning, not to mention the night before. Um, but she's just so stressed that she says, fine, you can come with. You know, she objects at first. But what she says is, um, fine, you can come along, but on your own head be it. Um, so she kind of threatens Sirius. She's like, you know, you are, you need to be responsible for your own actions here. You can come along because she's exhausted. She doesn't want to fight this issue. But so what results is Sirius basically getting to tag along with Harry. Um, clearly this is, Wait, I mean, if Sirius has been, ki- go on. It's kind of, it's kind of funny just the recent news story about the dog, um, <laughs> in the news and now we're talking about it. Just kind of funny. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess like, this is, is Sirius has been distancing himself from Harry previously, you know, dreading this day. But of course, on the day of, he he's really appears to be in, in, in really high spirits. Um, he basically starts chasing pigeons and cats, uh, to entertain Harry. Um, which is, which is funny. Um, and so Harry's with Mrs. Weasley and Tonks. Uh, today Tonks looks like an old lady. Um, and they, they walk, uh, about 20 minutes, I think it says, to King's Cross Station. It's always good to see the Hogwarts Express again. Uh, Harry kind of reflects on, you know, the trial and the fact that he's able to actually be going back to Hogwarts. Um, but when he's getting on the train, again, this time Sirius, um, as, still as a dog, bounds up or jumps up on his hind legs and places his front paws, like, on Harry's shoulder. And Mrs. Weasley quick, like, shoes him down again. But, um, you know, she says, like, Sirius, be more like a dog. And Harry's kind of taken aback, and when the train is leaving the platform, Sirius is, like, running along the platform, you know, chasing the train, actually, like, drawing attention to himself, drawing heavy attention from everybody else. You know, he's this funny dog, but really the attention, and it's important because, you know, later on Harry realizes, but immediately Hermione realizes that bringing Sirius or letting Sirius come along was probably a really bad idea. Yeah, and you and you're seeing Siri Sirius really you know, he's out there for the first time in a long time where he's able to enjoy himself and not really worry about being seen. So, you know, it's it's like you're seeing the old boyish Sirius in dog form, but you're also seeing like just a typical dog as well. Um really interesting um to watch his character in in dog form and enjoy and this bad time move out on the part of uh Molly to let him out because of course Wormtail knows that Sirius can transform into a dog. And as a result the Death Eaters know that. You know. And and, and, and just like you know, I, I said here, like, um his behavior, like you're talking about Andrew, like, couldn't he uh, you know, he really did take advantage of Molly because she was rushing and stressing about them all getting to school on time. I mean, what happens when you miss the nine AM sharp, you know, or eleven AM sharp uh train to to hogwarts um you know what happens but uh sirius basically abused that and took that to his advantage 
But I'm saying, couldn't Sirius really have spent a little bit more time with Harry, especially because he was feeling so alone from Dumbledore and Sirius was feeling so alone? Instead of, you know, behaving like a child these you know, past few months and kind of staying away from... Past few weeks, sorry. Staying away from Harry, shouldn't they have just had a little bit more, you know, more talk? Shouldn't it have been serious to give Harry the photograph of, you know, his parents and, and say, you know, I don't know, maybe more encouraging words? This is really like... He's in Sirius's house, for crying out loud. And if Sirius is not getting enough time with Harry, that's nobody else's fault. Yeah, I mean, it goes back to what we were talking about before, with him just distancing himself from everybody else as the start of the term drew near. Because, yeah. and and this ties into what Andrew was saying earlier, with him just acting as if he's as young as Harry, or even younger, when he gets out to you know, the train station, and he's just immature. He hasn't uh, grown up at all in, in certain respects. As we see later on in the book, when he calls Harry James, it, it's just, for him, he can't get past the fact that he's he's never been able to enjoy his, you know, his Twilight years. young adulthood. Yeah. 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 Definitely. So, um, anyway, on the train, uh, Harry's, Harry, Ron, and Hermione are, are, are together, and Harry says, okay, let's go find a compartment. Ron and Hermione actually have to go and spend some time with the prefects in the prefects cabin. Um, you know, Ron says, it's not something I want to do, I'm not Percy. And, uh, you know, Harry kind of grins there, but, but still, Harry is alone. Um, because Ron and Hermione, his best friends, have to go and be prefects, so there's obviously that little little bit of regret, I guess, in Harry. Um, and he's walking along the corridor, he sees all these people gaze and gawk at him, and he's, let's face it, he's Harry Potter. He, he's used to that by now, but what it makes him wonder is if people really believe the Daily Prophet. Um, because ever since Cedric Diggory's death, you know, as we found out in previous chapters of this book, the Daily Prophet is really saying mean things against uh, Harry and his character, and against Dumbledore. So he's he's starting to wonder how many of these students are going to be on his side, in a way, which 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 plays in, uh, you know, obviously soon enough. But uh, he ends up. Harry goes to the the last compartment. He sees Neville. Uh, you know, waiting outside the last compartment, and he says, Neville, let's let's go in here, and Neville just kind of murmurs something. And uh, then Ginny comes up behind them and says, oh, it's okay, we can have this compartment. It's just Looney, Love, uh, Looney Lovegood. So they go in, and we meet Luna Lovegood. She's described as having straggly waist-length, dirty blonde hair, very pale eyebrows, and protuberant eyes that gave her a permanently surprised look. Luna had stuck her wand behind her ear for safekeeping, had chosen to wear a necklace of butterbeer caps, and was reading a magazine upside down. Also, she did not seem to blink as much as normal humans. This is These are all the descriptors uh, that come to introduce one of, I think, our collective favorite characters, Luna Lovegood. Um, now, Luna's first introduced by Ginny. Uh, when, when Ginny said, oh, it's just Looney Lovegood in here. But then when Ginny opens the compartment door... She's like, oh, hi, Luna, you know, can, can we have these seats? And also, how was your summer? So apparently, like, Luna, Looney, has this nickname um, that Ginny is, you know, but she's being polite. So, so Ginny's not somebody who bullies Luna, but very clearly Luna's reputation precedes her. So 
What do you guys think of uh, sort of this scene and, you know, what happens with Luna in this chapter? Well, is she reading the book upside down in the book? Is she reading the Quibbler upside down in the book? Yes. I mean, that... Yeah. That introduction, just like in the movie and in the book, was just so wonderful. It was like a perfect way to introduce the character. I mean, immediately you get that she's out there. Not just with the dialogue, but the visuals. Um, yeah. So, I mean, the Luna, this was a great introduction. Yeah. So, I mean, two things happen in this cabin. First is like a gradual, I guess through the rest of this chapter, Harry begins to notice how Luna is not, maybe not as crazy. Um, as she seems, because he, he ends up getting a look at the quibbler, and he sees, in fact, that what Luna was looking at were the rune charts, which there's a notation somewhere that if you hold them upside down, you re- it reveals a special incantation. Something big happens is that Neville r- reveals that he has uh, a birthday present, actually, recently, which is kind of a hint, I said, it's foreshadowing to the end of the book when we learn that Neville and Harry share more or less the same birthday. Um, but Neville reveals that for his birthday, he received a Mimulus Mimbletonia. Harry is kind of like, okay, Neville, you know, I, I know herbology is your forte, but does this thing actually do anything? And Neville says, oh, yeah, yeah, it does loads of stuff. Hold Trevor for me. Um, so Neville takes out uh, something to prod the Mimulus Mimbletonia with, pokes it, and this dark green pus erupts from all of the boils. It's described as smelling like manure, and it sprays everybody in the compartment. Just right then, Cho Chang knocks on the compartment door and wants to say hello to Harry. Obviously, Harry is you know, covered in this green crap goo. So, there's just this moment here where Harry... um, is 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 not very happy. He 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 obviously. I mean, Cho Cho takes it nicely enough. She turns red and says, "Is this not a bad time?" And you know, Harry says no, and so she leaves. But there's this moment where Harry is like really resentful. Um, in in the book, it, you know, the book says he would have he would have liked Cho to discover him sitting with a very cool group of people, laughing their heads off at a joke he had just told. He would not have chosen to be sitting with Neville and Looney Lovegood clutching a toad and dripping in stinks, stinks at. Um, so Harry's kind of, again, it, it's a little bit of a, you know, preface for, for what's going to happen later with him and show, you know, in terms of he, he wants to really grow. He wants to nurture that relationship. And he's finding that, that certain events or certain things are holding him back. Well, I think it's a combination of things, though. It's, it's the tie between him and Voldemort becoming stronger, but it's also just him maturing and going through this adolescent period where he's showing these emotions. So so you're saying he's more aware in general of how he appears to other people? No, I, I just think the way that he's acting is the way any teenager would be acting. Mm-hmm. You know, if you like a girl, you don't... He has the reaction that, you know, a, a guy would would normally have and that's you know i want to be sitting with the cool crowd i don't you know it, what is cho going to think of me if if she walks in and she sees me sitting with uh, the, the people the way that you just described she's she's not going to think very highly of me and i think that's a normal thought to have for for somebody who's 15 years old oh yeah again and we we always forget this they're so young <laughs> that's a good you know it's it's not like they that he's matured and he's you know in his 20s now i don't i doubt he would have the same sort of thought process 
Yeah. No, that's a really good point. So, um, as I mentioned before, Ron and Hermione do come back from their prefect cabin. They mention that Draco Malfoy is a prefect. We talked about Ron deserving a prefect position. You think Draco deserves a prefect position? Well, see, this would get into who really makes the decision. Is it the head of the house or is it Dumbledore? And would Malfoy want it? Would Draco want it? He doesn't strike me as somebody who would really well, he like wants you know to pick he likes, on people, yeah, he give li- him detention, yeah, for he, no reason. He likes to be bossy, but I, I just picture him as someone who would kind of maybe enjoy it for a few days and then kind of get over it. Yeah. Like he just wants the boss crab and Goyle around. That's all. Yeah, that's true. And I mean, this isn't the movies or book six Malfoy where he's, you know, kind of burdened with the world. But at the same time, I think, doesn't it say that Malfoy is actually a pretty good student? Um, you know, if he is made a prefect, the other Slytherin prefect is Pansy Parkinson. But, you know, doesn't it, doesn't it say that he's at least academically competent? And now that I, now that I think about that, didn't Lucius, like, make fun of Malfoy, make fun of Draco in like year two and say that, you know, your grades, would be better than, or should be better than that mudblood Hermione Granger's. Like, so, do you think that Malfoy has been trying to keep up with Hermione academically? Um, you know, do you think he's actually trying hard at school at this point? That's, it could be. I mean, you never really get an insight into how good of a student Draco is. Other than that comment. I mean, you, you don't, you don't, you assume that he's good at potions, but who knows what else he's good at. Right. Um, so, but when Malfoy shows up at the cabinet uh, or cabin, he uh, he's 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 bully. He's he's bullying. He basically Ron has this moment where you know he he talks about Malfoy being a prefect with Harry, and Ron is of the assumption that Malfoy is going to abuse that power, and so Ron says that he's going to you know first first opportunity he gets, he's going to public or punish Crab and Goyle. Uh, and try and get them first. I think the term is get you know get the, get his mate before he gets mine. So Ron is looking out for Harry here. Um, when they get to Hogsmeade Station, uh, Harry is immediately looking around for Hagrid. Harry's just needs some love. I think he's looking around for Hagrid, fresh familiar face. You know what's synonymous with uh, Hogwarts? You know, start of term other than Hagrid. Well, Hagrid's not there. Um, apparently, this severely haircutted. Professor Grubbly Plank is in his position, and uh, Harry doesn't know why that is. So it's a little disconcerting. Harry does not get the, uh, yet again, he doesn't get the kind of attention or love he's looking for. And finally, um, when they get to the school carriages, which up until very recently have pulled themselves, Harry notices that there's a large horse creature, and he pulls Ron aside, and he says... What's the deal with uh, with these things? You know, why would they need these horse things to pull the carriages that were perfectly capable of pulling themselves? Well, Ron doesn't see these horse things. And Harry, you know, basically physically moves Ron, puts him face-to-face with a horse thing, which we know they're called Thestrals, and Ron doesn't see it. In fact, he asks if Harry's feeling all right. Um, he gets on the carriage and, and Harry's flipping out actually, because he has this genuine moment where he realizes that Ron actually doesn't see this thing that he sees. And it sets the tone. Harry begins to really worry if he's losing his mind. Um, but of course, just as he steps on the school carriage to go to Hogwarts, Luna assures him that she can see them too. And that Harry is quote, just as sane as I am. 
End quote. Uh oh. Oh no. New uh crazy things. New thing to stress about. Yeah. <laughs> for Harry. And that concludes right, well, that- chapter ten. And that's chapter by chapter for this week. If you have any comments about anything that we discussed today, you can just visit the MuggleCast site, click on contact at the top, and give us your feedback. And what will we do with it? Well, we'll read it, just like we're about to right now. Uh, we have some emails here from, in regards to last week's, or, or episode 240. This first one comes from Rashitha, Rashitha, 12 from India. Dear MuggleCast, I've started listening to your show a couple months ago, and I love your show. I've also been listening to your old shows and, like two others, have noticed another another prediction you made. In your first ever show, you all said that Regulus Black could have taken the locket. Ben also said that Mundungus could have stolen the locket from number 12 Grimwald Place and sold it. We now know both of these predictions are true. This is my favorite podcast, and I hope you never end it. Well, thank yeah. you, and there, there again. Yeah, those were very popular theories, I think, back then. And yeah, that's ben, true. Ben Absolutely. went on to write a book about that. <laughs> well, I think the first one, right? Like, Regulus Black, that was... I don't want to say it was one of, like, the um, most obvious mysteries, but I do feel like it was more obvious simply because there weren't that many characters that we had known. You know, the most of the appeal of R.A.B. lies in whether or not we... Or lies in us actually knowing that character previously, right? I mean... It's very easy for J.K. Rowling to introduce a brand new character with the initials R.A.B., but wouldn't it be more special if they had already been mentioned before in the books? And so I think right after book six came out, and this R.A.B. mystery came out, people were looking back in the books for an R.A.B., and, you know, really one of the only contenders, now we didn't know his his middle name until that Dutch translation or whatever came out, um, you know, months and months, maybe a month or two before Book seven, or I forget what time it was, but basically Regulus Black was one of the only contenders for this. So if, if J.K. Rowling was using an already existing character, um, R.B., you know, Regulus Black was, was one of them. So I, I do think that that mystery was, I'm not saying it's, uh, you know, more predictable, but I, I am saying it's more predictable. Uh, however, the, the Mendungus, uh, locket thing, that's, that's all Ben. That's brilliant. And that totally came true. I don't feel like we had any other reason to believe that that was possible. Next email is from Caitlin Kelly, 18 of Paddocka, Kentucky. Hey guys, first things first, I love you guys in the show. Been with you guys for a while now. I live on a blackberry farm, no joke, and I have listened to your amazing podcast while picking. In episode 240, join the Weasleys when talking about the Death Eater trials, you forgot about Snape. Snape was clearly represented by Dumbledore. It was an unusual circumstance, I know. What do you guys think would have happened if Dumbledore hadn't had supported Snape? Love to hear your thoughts. Keep up the awesome work. Yeah, I, yeah, absolutely. So there are cases where, uh, criminals get defense. Right, cause Snape was very clearly, Snape would have been convicted, I mean, if he wasn't at least convicted, he would have been sentenced, um, to a term in Azkaban if it weren't for Dumbledore. Very, very, very interesting. But I think too, like, honestly, do you feel like Dumbledore, knowing the, particular things that Dumbledore knew regarding, you know, his love for Lily Potter, but but also more importantly that he was the one who heard the prophecy. Don't you think that Dumbledore would have done anything to keep Snape by his side? Because didn't we have the situation where people who witnessed the prophecy, like that memory, this this whole book is about that memory of the prophecy, about obtaining it. 
And if somebody, you know, be it prisoner somewhere else, was able to get to Snape, they really could have forced that memory out of him, um, you know, about the prophecy and, and learned something that was extremely, would be extremely devastating to either the good side or the bad side. Don't you think that Dumbledore, the reason he gave evidence, you know, for Snape was also because, you know, and let Snape teach at the school was just so that he could keep that much of an eye and keep that much control over that kind of information? Yeah, probably. But it's also good to know that Dumbledore moonlights as a defense attorney <laughs> because he's the only one we've seen. so many talents. Yeah, but he's the only person we've ever seen speak in defense of somebody else. Dumbledore, public wizard defender. Next email comes from, oh, I believe it's their Pottermore name, R-Strike-131. In episode 240, during chapter by chapter, you said that Arthur Weasley wouldn't apparate to the ministry because Harry can't. Yes, you're right. Only one person needs to know how to apparate. The best example is when Harry apparates himself, Hermione, Ron, Dobby, and Griphook to Shell Cottage. The reason Arthur didn't apparate is because Harry is underage. Yes, you need to be 17 to apparate. Well, as far as I know, when you're 17, you can take your apparition test, but even if you don't take the test, you can apparate as long as you're 17 or older. This is implied in Goblet of Fire. I'm not sure which chapter, but it's the one where Harry why Bill, Charlie, etc. are operating the World Cup, but they're not. So I can't provide more details. Okay, well that makes sense then. Yeah, so I guess there's another example of people not side-along operating as early as book four. Um, then it could be because they're all participants in the apparition have to be 17. Possibly. Next email from Riley Kennedy, 15, of Fayette, Alabama. Hey, guys, I was listening to your latest show, and you were talking about the Pottermore setbacks, and sudden question hit me. Do you think they will make a Pottermore app? I, I have an, having an iPhone, think it would be great. I sadly have not yet joined Pottermore. Thanks for keeping Potter alive after the series has ended, and keep up the good work. Uh, yeah, it's just, well, here's the main problem. If I may get techie for a second, the iPhone does not support Flash, and Pottermore is all Flash. So if you were to open up a Pottermore on an iPhone or an iPad right now, it would it it doesn't work, as some of you may have already tried. So um, you, you, they would have to com- create a completely separate app. And will they do that? Who knows? They haven't said a thing about it. So cool. Next email is from uh, Katrina, twenty-two of Palmdale. I was just listening to the recent episode. I was surprised that Andrew said that the box sets for the DVDs would not make as much money and would most likely be a gift for younger generations. Personally, I don't know if this makes me less of a fan. I stopped buying the DVDs after the second film. This is because I assumed that they would come out with a box set. So I've been waiting for this edition for almost 10 years. I would assume that there are other fans who are my age and grew up with the series that have also made the same choice back then at different points. I think the box set will profit well just as much as HPDH Part 2 will. Love you guys. Well, now I'm just going to say... she's right. Yeah, I'm just going to say the same thing I said at the beginning of the uh, show. Please wait. Um, There's another box set coming, and it's coming next year sometime, uh, allegedly. So I would really, really wait. If you want to get the definitive collection, it's not this one. That's coming out November. Yeah. I mean, I I guess now I'm wondering, why do I buy the DVDs? I really only watch them (laughs) once when they come out, but I guess it's just because I'm a fan, and I want to buy it when it's out. You're talking about you yourself personally? Yeah, and yeah. I, and most people. Yeah. Um, I mean, how, yeah, I many, how many times do how you guys... How much replay value right, is there? Right, how many times do you guys pop in the DVDs? Well, you I, probably haven't since it came out, right? Right. I, I only really, now that I think about it, the you know, I bought the DVDs so that I could screen cap them for the caption contest, but 
both that and, <laughs> you know, my screen capping has gone the way of the, uh, dictaphone here. You know, I haven't, haven't, haven't really had any use for the DVDs. Gosh, why do I own those movies? I mean, I'll watch the movies if, uh, if I come across them on TV every now and then. Yeah, exactly. I, 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 I won't sit down and pop them into the computer right. or. You know, uh, part one just started playing on HBO and it, you know, I, I watched bits and pieces of it because it's easy. You just turn it on and you just switch to the channel and it's there. It's easier than putting in the DVD. They just have Which to... makes me sound really lazy. But. <laughs> it, it was funny. My, I, uh, my dad was watching it one night and I, I, I walked, uh, I walked downstairs where he was and he said to me, which one is this? <laughs> so, and you should have said number one. <laughs> number one. That All right. Finally, email today is, uh, chicken soup for the Mugglecast soul. It's from Brandon Hudson, 24 of Salisbury, Maryland. I've been a fan of you, a fan of yours for over three years now. The joy that you guys bring to my iPod and daily life are definitely helpful. I'm a full-time working husband and father of two. On top of that, I also go to college full-time and am managing to maintain a GPA of 4.0. After being asked by people numerous times how I am able to balance all these things, I usually come clean and let them know about you guys. I tend to live every day without stress because I listen to at least one of your podcasts while at work every day. So I want to sincerely thank you for all that you've contributed to Harry Potter and your fellow fans like myself. Listening to you guys on a daily basis really gives me the time I need to reflect and remember that there's nothing to worry about day to day, and I am always able to smile and laugh along with you guys. As an HP fan from the very beginning, I can safely say that there is no other fandom like ours. I just wish that those who are not fans of HP could experience the overwhelming community and friendship we share with one another. Looking back, it's amazing that one boy wizard and a world of magic can bring so many people together. As a Potter fan, I feel very fortunate for everything I've, I'm given that is in relation to the world of witchcraft and wizardry. We have amazing movies, amazing books, a theme park, Pottermore, and all types of merchandise. J.K. Rowling has made me feel very special in my own way for being a fan of her work, and for that reason, I am especially thankful to her, even though I will probably never meet her. However, I am able to at least email you guys and know that you will read it so I can express my gratitude. Once again, I would like to thank you all at MuggleNet and MuggleCast for all the great times, and I can't wait until the next podcast. Potter Pride, Brandon. Wow. Brandon, thank you for writing this letter to us. Um, I would say, judging by what you've got going on that you say in the letter, that you're a tremendous example of, you know, a working guy, you know, a father. And it just, it's, it's really wonderful to get this email from you. Uh, you're, you're definitely, you're setting an example, I think, for, for, yeah. for others out there. And good luck with school and keeping, keeping up with all the work. We all know, we all know it's a lot to balance. And, um, yeah, yeah. Thanks for the support. I I like to listen to podcasts too, when to help relieve stress, especially when I go to bed. I know we've talked about it before. It does help. It does help fall asleep hearing people talk, and not in like oh they're so boring way. <laughs> and, and when you're taking care of your kids right, too, right? Exactly. Well, I don't do that, but anyway, uh, we want to remind you guys that over the next few weeks, there's quite a few special MuggleCast episodes coming up. Our next one, episode 242, will be our Deathly Hallows Part Two DVD review. We will break down everything in the DVD. We will watch it once and then never use it again. <laughs> um, also, uh, next month, we'll do our first ever DVD commentary for Deathly Hallows Part 2. That'll be a special episode. So we will use oh, it right. again. Yeah, we'll use it twice. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and then, then it becomes a... Uh, maybe, uh, maybe eBay, guys. You know, right? A few signed copies out there. Yeah. And then tentatively, 
um, we're going to have coverage from the Quidditch World Cup. Either that or somewhere else. Um, that, that one's still up in there, but there will be an episode, uh, possibly from the Quidditch World Cup. And if not there, then somewhere else. And then, of course, our year in review episode, uh, where we'll break down everything that's happened in this year. It's been another busy year of Harry Potter. And we'll look forward to what's to come in 2012. So this is the last and episode then also, uh, before mm-hmm. Halloween, you said? So Yes, segue. Yeah. Happy Halloween, everybody. Oh, I thought you were going to bring up the... Uh... Oh, yeah, that thing. Happy, ha- happy so, Halloween, everybody. No, no. What, what's in the notes here? <laughs> All right. Well, since Eric is not paying attention to the doc... Uh, <laughs> We're in kind of in conjunction with Halloween. I'm not sure how we're going to do it just yet, but uh, we we plan on giving away a copy of of Harry Potter page to screen. And I think the the part that Andrew was referring to is that MuggleNet is conducting a Harry Potter pumpkin carving contest, and uh, the top prize will also receive a copy of Harry Potter page to screen. So, guys, we have to come up with something here on the podcast, a means of giving away. An additional copy of of Harry Potter. Page I, I vote we just give it to uh, that Hillary girl who uh, came up with that Muggle cast pumpkin. Um, you guys seen this? It's on uh, YouTube, and I'm pretty sure she's going to enter the contest. But she carved our faces and the lightning bolt and the words Muggle cast onto one pumpkin. Yeah, it's awesome. Thank you, Hillary, for doing that. I <laughs> I don't know how she did it. Honestly, I I want that kind of skill. Um. But yeah, essentially, so Muggle that's having this pumpkin carving contest, there's this super cool Muggle cast pumpkin, and yeah, I'm sure that, you know, we put our heads together, guys, we can figure out how to give another one of these uh, HarperCollins books away. Um, but obviously for, for an upcoming episode. Um, so stay tuned for that. And uh, finally, a plug for a new site Micah and Eric are working on. Micah, tell us about yeah, it. Yeah, for, for those uh, listeners out there, who are fans of the Game of Thrones series, whether you read the books or got into the the HBO television series, there's a new website out there called uh, GameOfOwns.com, and it's kind of a play on uh, on Game of Thrones. So uh, uh, all the information you can possibly want is there on the books, on the television series, on the actors, and a lot of... Uh, buzz going on right now with season two which is going to uh be on tv in in april of 2012 but a lot of casting news and things like that going on we're working on some cool features as well uh for the site but also gallery and forums you can get together with feather feather (laughs) fellow game of thrones fans and and talk about you know whatever it is that you're interested in with respect uh, to the series. So, Micah, you like how, how would you compare those books to Harry Potter? Because I, I haven't read them yet, but you know, do they com- do they compare? <laughs> there, there, there are some different themes uh, that run through the books. There's uh, some a lot more adult content in in this series than in Harry Potter. But I think uh, for the more adult listeners on the show. Um, that it's something of interest and, you know, give it a read, uh, or, or at least give it a watch and, and watch the first episode of, of Game of Thrones on HBO because that's how I got into it. I, you know, it's, it's very similar to how I got into Potter. I saw the films and then read the books. I saw the TV series and now, uh, started reading, uh, it's called a, a Song of Ice and Fire series, but, you know, there's, there's currently five books that are out and there appears to 
there there will be at least seven, so there is that tie to Harry Potter, I guess. But uh, you know, follow us on Twitter at Game of Owns, or just go onto the website gameofowns.com. You can also like that's, us on that's Facebook. O W N S for owns. Yes. So, Andrew, I know you've checked it out. You you're yeah, a fan. I like it. Well, I haven't read the books or or seen the the. But you like yeah, the website. I li- but I like the website. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no, it's a project that uh, I've been working on, as you said, with Eric. Uh, also, uh, Zach, who's a friend of ours, and Amy, who's another friend. So, or she's Blair now. I'm not sure she changed her name. But, well, I don't uh, also remember that we um, also remember another website. MuggleCast.com has all the information you need about this show. <laughs> Does it? Really? Yeah, well, I'm, I'm, I'm moving along here. Um, don't forget, you can click contact at the top and submit uh, anything via feedback form. Also, there we have links to our Twitter, which is twitter.com slash MuggleCast, Facebook, which is facebook.com slash MuggleCast, and our fan Tumblr, which is MuggleCast.tumblr.com. Thanks, everyone, for listening. From Hypable, I'm Andrew Sims. From Muggleland, I'm Eric Skull. From Game of Owns, I'm Micah Tannenbaum. <laughs> That, that's nice. what Andrew was looking for at the top of the show. Nice. That was. We'll see everyone next time for episode 242. Goodbye. Bye. Happy Halloween. Ooh, ooh.